0: Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, your Weekly Geeky Squeak with me, as always, Christian Chiller. So this week, this week I have a few links for you and then I have an interview with Daniel Foster, the product manager of Snagit. I've had a few Snagit themed bits of content over the past few months and this is the final one of those where we dig a little bit into the development of the product, uh, where it came from, where it's going, etc, etc. This will be probably the last weekly squeak in this format. It's not necessarily going away. I'm just changing a few things moving forward. But more of that a little bit later. Let's first cover my links of the week. First up, this was an article by Nicole Perlroth on Wired, the untold history of America's zero-day market. Um... And this was, well, it's an excerpt from a book by the same author. Uh, This is How They Tell Me the World Ends. And it covers a reasonably old story, at least 10 years kind of going backwards, um, about zero days and how companies and hackers and other people have exploited zero-day vulnerabilities in software for some time. And I suppose up until relatively recently where we've maybe companies, some companies anyway, have got a little better at uh, handling the, the process. But this is goes back a fair bit when people didn't necessarily really understand what all of this meant, I suppose, um, and goes through quite a checkered and interconnected world of companies and individuals and nefarious parties and how they made revenue out of exploiting and sometimes even creating and or creating exploits for zero-dose in major software. Um, yeah, it's quite fascinating. I think it could almost be a plot of a movie if it wasn't for the fact that um, it would be probably a movie of lots of people just kind of staring at screens, which is not necessarily always that interesting to represent. Um, but yeah, if the if that whole bizarre, shady world illuminates your mind, then take a look, take a read, and maybe have a read of the the, the full book, which... Um, actually, I'm not 100%. Oh, the cyber weapons arm race. Okay, that's kind of what it's about. And um, if that's how the world is going to end. That is an interesting end. Something a little different now. This is an article from Jason Perlow on ZDNet. Um, 48 years of Ethernet. of strange one to be celebrating. I suppose it's relevant in this current year when we're all working from home a lot more. Uh, I use network cables pretty much all the time when I'm at home or in the office. I'm using one right now. Uh but it's exceptionally old. Uh and this article not only talks about its its birth, its birthday, but why you should use it more. Um it's stable, it's usually a better connection, it's usually faster, uh, and if you ha and, and actually relatively affordable to set up um if you have a router that supports it, of course which is probably the the harder thing to resolve. The actual adapter and the cable is relatively straightforward. Um, So you can get everything up to a gigabit. Oh, no, even, sorry, I tell a lie. 100 gigabits per second on the really high end, but generally a gigabit, which I think... I think I actually have a 10 gigabit um, switch, but I'm not sure if... I don't think that's what my internet access has. So, so, uh, yeah, sometimes those sorts of things then um, become a little irrelevant, but... Yeah, and it's less interference, you don't have to worry about uh, placement of devices and things like that. If you can do it, do it, especially when you're doing streaming, especially when you're doing a lot of video and audio calls and you want stability and to look even more professional, that kind of thing. Um, So yeah, if you need a little bit of an intro, maybe even just a little bit of reminiscing and history, then uh, take a look, (laughs) join me in the networked historical revolution. So I guess the big story of the week, um, and I kind of have to cover this, is the whole issues in Australia this year. I am half Australian, so I kind of should cover it, but I'm going to cover it from a few different angles here. Um, So you probably have heard about this already, um, and you can go and find out some of those details elsewhere. I'm going to dig into a few other aspects of the story. So firstly, this is an article by Daniel Hurst from The Guardian, um, I think the Australian Guardian, talking specifically about Kevin Rudd, who is an ex-Prime Minister um, and has for at least the past year or so been um, behind quite a large campaign to to try to bring attention and do something about the kind of duopoly of, of media in Australia, which is Murdoch. And Packer, basically. Um, and kind of that industry has been the ones who who bought this issue to, to a head, as it were, because they're the main ones being hit by it and because they're the kind of the ones with the power because there's so few other people in the industry, then they basically were able to lobby for this issue to come to a head. So this is something that he has been um, talking about quite a lot. He's also talking about how Fox, Sky, Murdoch Media basically has been um, radicalising politics and uh, having far too much input on politics, which is somewhat true. Uh, of course, it depends on your opinion, but I think definitely the instability of politics in Australia in the recent decades, and he was one of the very many victims and also beneficiaries of that in some respects. Um, been exacerbated by this duopoly. Um, so that's one little aspect of it, kind of, I guess, how almost how we got here kind of thing, sort of. <laughs> and uh, he has been digging quite a lot into this in in some respects um, for some time. So have a look at that if you're interested in getting a slightly different aspect on that. Um, here's another different perspective on it from a uh, wired, wired, normal wired, I think. By James Temperton, Facebook's Australia news ban is the best decision it's ever made. Now, this, obviously, the, the Facebook aspect of this Australia story has changed a little bit, whilst I'm recording this pretty much, um, and the kind of blanket ban of unsubtly um, blanketed and filtered links on Australian Facebook um, has largely sort of been fixed and resolved-ish, now depending on your perspective of what fixed means um but James in this article is arguing that um, that what Facebook did in this case was correct (laughs) um and uh, yeah it's 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 kind of interesting because Facebook itself has been pushing it, pushing itself into a different place. Um, Facebook has not wanted to be this kind of uh, open news town square for some time. Um, it actually wanted to push people into this groups aspect. Um, actually, probably that's where I get the most value out of Facebook these days. It used to be events, not so much at the moment, but... Uh, groups definitely have been the one thing I pay most attention to now and pushing people down those paths. So having the big kind of global area where people are just posting things left, right and centre is actually what they've been wanting to change for some time anyway. So in some respects, this kind of almost um, forces users into the pivot. They wanted people to pivot down anyway, maybe. <laughs> um And this has been one aspect that a lot of people have talked about in this situation. In that, for Facebook and Google, um, a lot of world governments are now watching the Australian story to see to see what happens, to see what kind of what they can learn from it in, in, in bringing in their own legislation. And it's interesting that um, in this this article he poses that for the businesses themselves that are being targeted, Facebook and Google, if they handle this the right way, they could, in some respects, come out better for themselves or better for everybody. It's, it's a difficult one. Um, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think I'm not necessarily representing these articles so well. Go and have a read. Um, And make up your own mind. There's another kind of nuanced perspective on on what is changing here at the moment and, uh, yeah, what it could mean to especially Facebook, which is not necessarily the, some respects not necessarily the biggest target of of this bill in Australia, but kind of caught up in the storm some respects. (laughs) Have a read of it. Um, And finally, this is an article from Casey Newton, uh, on platformer a medium blog final perspective on this on this story um, and I suppose this what this particular article talks about the 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 bigger issue is that um, journalism is not supported well enough it 's not supported people are not willing to pay for things people are not willing to pay for content creators. I know this all too well myself um but The shift that Australia took, and see back to earlier comment that it was largely there to protect the media moguls anyway, is not really the right way around fixing it, which I think anyone could know. So it's one of those sorts of strange cases where you say, well, this brought attention to the problem, but this wasn't a fix for the problem. And this is kind of what this article is is arguing in some respects. Um, yeah, so have a read of that too. I suppose it goes back almost a furthest step to the 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 justification for the the legislation in the first place, of the underlying problem. I guess. All right, we're done. We're going to wrap up now with something a little different. Um, There's an article on Dicebreaker from Sharang Bizwas in the RPGs uh, games beyond Dungeons and Dragons. Um. There's many, many, many of these, and this article just highlights some. Uh, if you're interested in role-play game, but the kind of traditional hack-and-slash dungeon-caller doesn't really appeal to you, what else is out there? Apocalypse World is a system that is behind many games. I actually tried one the other day, and there's some fascinating subjects you can go over Everything from what it mentions here, a sort of murder-she-wrote mystery, up to, um, I think there is the... Um, Uh, I don't think this is powered by the apocalypse, but there's the Jane Austen roleplay game that is currently on Kickstarter, actually. Um, We also have ones without um, a dungeon master, someone running the game, which I also tried this week. Spire, City Must Fall uh, has been very buzzing recently. Uh, There's a whole bunch here. Um, Dialect that focuses on what characters say. Yeah, there's many, many different ones here. If you're interested in getting into roleplay but want to do something a little different, something maybe a little more inclusive and interesting, then have a look at some of these because there are many here to try. And that was my links for the week. And now here's my interview with Daniel Foster of TechSmith discussing Snagit. Enjoy.
1: Hey, all. I'm Daniel Foster. I work for uh, TechSmith, and my role there is uh, helping to head up Snagit strategy. So I get the uh, the fun and the enjoyment of talking to a lot of customers, doing research into where the market is heading, and then helping set the direction for Snagit as a product where, among the, the tech sm- TechSmith portfolio of products.
0: You actually sound like uh, the perfect person who I wanted to kind of talk to about, about uh, a product like Snagit but I'd like to go back a little bit first I don't necessarily assume you've been with the company long enough to have been there on the whole journey of Snagit but what was the motivation for creating it in the first place what was the I guess when was it And, and what was the problem that the company was trying to solve at the time
1: Yeah, I I, I love stories. Uh, And Snagit has been in the market 30 years. So it actually does predate my time at (laughs) TechSmith. I joined only about 13 years ago. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so uh, the the lore, the story that as I understand it is um, TechSmith actually at the time uh, was doing a lot of contract work as a software company. So they were creating software for other people. They didn't have a product. And um, as, if you've ever been in services, you know that that's, you know, okay. that's a rat race, right? It's tough. So I think they were kind of looking for or, or uh, trying out some different things to develop a product. <clears throat> and Snagit was actually born out of a screen capture utility they made for themselves. Okay. And they found it useful. And they said, I bet other people would find this useful. And honestly, the first place that it went out was on these shareware, you know, bulletin Yep. Board, yep. Yeah. Yep.
0: So
1: that's how it got its start.
0: 30 years ago. So that's, hang on, I've got to think here. 91.
1: Yeah, Um, right around 91. I think it may have been developed a little before 91, but um, I think somewhere on our website, probably if you go back, there's a version history that actually has all of the different features going back to about 91. And was it always cross-platform then, or is that something more recent? Much more recent, Um, yeah. So I think we were on version um, somewhere around 10 or 11, uh, when the the first Mac version came out. So that of course, you know, introduces a lot of challenge because you're like, how do we take, I don't know at the time it was 10, 15, 20 years worth of development, right? And say, yeah. how do you catch up on a new platform? Um, but I, I feel like we we did okay. It was always tough because you have customers who are very impatient. They're like, I want all of Nagit that I enjoyed on Windows right now on Mac. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know, it's just, well, we have to choose which aspects to build first. And then, of course, there's going to be some aspects that maybe you just don't build because you're like, yep. this wasn't getting that much use anyway. Probably not smart to port that over to the Mac version. Over yep. the years, they've come really close together. Yep. And now, not 100% parity, but I'd call it something like 95% parity.
0: Yeah, and actually, it's 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 not even... Uh, it's actually differences. It's not like one loses things and one gains things. They have differences. Um, Mostly, yes. Yep. At least you didn't have to go through the whole... Um, uh, Mac, classic Mac OS to OS X transition, I suppose, That <laughs> timeline, <launcher>, so that's good. <laughs> um, so I do remember those days. So I'm guessing back in the very early days it was primarily used for creating uh, screenshots for print documentation, or was there still – there would still be a little bit of um, kind of uh, software-based documentation then, but I guess a lot of print
1: Yeah, certainly a lot of print. I think a lot of the claim to fame of of Snagit early on was that you got really nice high resolution screenshots. You know, it wasn't being kind of um, blurred or or munged as it it was, uh, you know, scaled. So that was that was key. And and really, it was the folks in these communities, these online bulletin boards. A lot of them were folks that were creating documentation for their own company. And that's kind of how it spread initially. Um, yeah. It's actually funny you mention that because one of my
0: first, uh, kind of proper jobs <laughs> was, uh, working in tech support for Mac tech support. Um, back in mm, late nineties to early two thousands, mostly in design agencies, print agencies, magazine publishers. And I do remember the nightmare constantly of high resolution images for, uh, print uh, using Quark and InDesign and things like that. And it still gives me palpitations today when I see in print and pixelated images, and you're just like, oh, come on, really? Still
1: <laughs> in 2021. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. And, and I think IT, those, you know, and as people started to go back and forth, often by email early on, right, there weren't yeah. sort of these internal platforms so much. And then IM became a thing. People would IM at work. Um, and so those those screenshots started to become part of the, normal just every day back and forth and so a lot of people just say you know it saves me so much time instead of trying to write out this long email to describe something I can be uh, like okay. take, a, take a picture and be like right here right because yeah. how do you describe an interface in words and, yeah. and text language so and um more recently I guess Snagit
0: has added screen capture as well screen recording um
1: when was that added Ooh, yeah, you're quizzing me. This is good. Um, It actually was uh, probably prior to 2000 because Camtasia is sort of the sister product of Snagit. And that came around the time that that the web started to support video formats that people could post and share video online. And originally Snagit sort of got this, the approach was like, we're going to have Snagit Studio and you'll have like these different components that you install and one of them will be a video thing. And I don't know if that lasted long and I might be a little wrong in the details, but eventually <laughs> you got folded in, um, but it was AVI only. So yeah. for the longest time, it would spit out a really nice, high quality, yeah. high resolution, but giant file size yep. you know, AVI. I think it was compressed, not uncompressed, but um, pr- pretty unwieldy. And then um, once it really kind of took um, when platforms started paying the royalties so that any application could create MP4 without having to pay that that royalty, um, that was sort of opened the door then to be like, oh, yeah, we can now support MP4. Uh, You know, it's a fairly low cost product. So you didn't want to have to like take on a giant royalty uh, for every user. So so, yeah, um, the years that that happened was probably around 2012, 13, maybe where we we added support for MP4.
0: I think I do remember that too. I actually was uh, uploading videos to the internet, I think even before YouTube, uh, of uh, filming um, music concerts. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and then uh, I think I had to, it was still on dial-up, I think I had to make them literally this big. <laughs> and then wait hours whilst I uploaded a probably yeah. less than 10 megabyte video. You were a, a little format. I you, like- no, 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 no. It was, it was, um, small bands. They were always actually aware I was doing it. And um, nice. I think, I think I was actually doing them in, uh, uh, flash format maybe. Or, oh yeah. Or Shockwave. I can't honestly remember. It was yes, a long time right? ago. I honestly cannot remember what format I was doing them in. And I, I think some of them I can find on archive.org, but I digress. Um, so over that long time span, how have you in your half of the application career um decided what to add and what not to add
1: mm. yeah Neg- way, actually,
0: as well i suppose yeah
1: and what to ta- and what to take away yeah um yeah, that is for sure, I think, any a challenge for anybody who's managing a, a legacy product who has just a long history, right? that has been around, uh, it's kind of mature. And then also, um, maybe particular to Snagit, but other products, is it's horizontal. Uh, mm-hmm. We didn't build it for one you know, role or one function uh, within an organization. Um, that may have been the intention at the beginning or where we first got traction. But very quickly, we found that a lot of people across an organization and basically any industry, find mm-hmm. a use for it. Um, uh, this last week or this week, I don't remember, I was talking to someone who's a facility manager in Ottawa. And, and he's like, yeah, I take pictures of the, the pipes in the boiler and I put an arrow to show which way the flow is going yep. through the pipe, right? Like we didn't, we didn't really think about that as a primary use case. And, and it's really not you know, necessarily like the core of what we built Snagit <laughs> for. So what we have really had to do, what, what I've tried to do, I've been on the Snagit team helping kind of set direction since about 2014, 15 Right. So um, about about five years, six years. And, and really what we've tried to do is say, let's let's survey and deeply understand who are our customers. So that was kind of mm-hmm. step one um, is really going to this broad group and saying, tell us about what you're actually creating and why and who it's for. And um, I'm sure you're familiar with the jobs to be done concept or framework. And so we one of the things we wanted to do was go through all the ways people described the value that they're getting from Snagit and start to categorize or bucket those a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the way that the tool we used to do that was the jobs to be done framework. So, um, now when someone, so when someone starts using Snagit, one of the first things in the trial is, Hey, what are you most trying to accomplish with Snagit? We understand it's probably a few things, but what's the number one. And yeah. then we really focus a lot on let's help. You know, we can't prioritize. I think there are nine, nine responses. We can't prioritize all of those equally But within the three or four that we really try to most invest in, let's help you be successful at using the tool for Mm -hmm. that thing that you say you most want to accomplish. And then and then we sort of align some of our investments in feature and functionality around that too. just stepping back to say, are we serving that one pretty well? Do we know of gaps? Um, And then the inverse sort of dreaming big, right? Like, what could we do to make that job or that kind of use case way better, you know, way easier or more accessible to more people?
0: And what uh, what is the general user base of, of Snagit? Not necessarily in um, in use case in industry, but more in terms of uh, are you mostly bringing long standing customers along with you, or do you also pick up uh, new customers in kind of newer industries as well, or is it something of a mix?
1: Mm. I would say that the kind of the reflection of industry, I don't think it's changed a ton. I, I'm sure there are some shifts over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, we've always had a pretty good presence in like education, for example. <laughs> yeah. We still do. Um, it hasn't been like, you know, that's gotten wildly larger or smaller little shifts over time. Um, uh, yeah, I, w- I would say that uh, we we uh, we tend to attract um, new people a lot. And part of it is our business model. We have to. So if you mm-hmm. think about a perpetual license, yeah. <laughs> that is, right? It's not a subscription product. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you you can't um, keep going as a company if you're not acquiring new customers all yeah. the time. Yeah. And and so we do have a subscription product, if you will. It's it's called a maintenance agreement. And so as we've made that available, more and more customers are like, yeah, that's great. I don't have to think about do I want this upgrade. You know, do I have to pay for every upgrade? They just now pay an annual fee for maintenance, and so that's kind of subscription-ish. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, the business model says we have to find new people, we have to find new customers all the time. Um, one of the areas that we've delved more deeply into in the past few years is is folks who who are creating formal documentation. So we've built up some functionality that simply doesn't exist in other tools that mm. um, that do screen captures. So one of them uh, lets you take uh, an interface and basically create like an abstract version of yep. it. Yep. Um, we call it the Simplify tool. The concept is SUI or Simplified User Interface Graphics. And that's something that Snagit has. You can do it in, in a, an Illustrator or, yep. a yep. or some other tool. Yep. Yep. But we've actually got like custom, you know, specific specialized tool just to create this effect because people who create a lot of documentation and deal with a lot of images as soon as their interface changes of their product that they're documenting, then they have to go back and change those screenshots again. So, you know, we saw that need, we said, Hey, look, we could really drive in a little bit deeper for this group and solve this, this difficult problem for them. And so that's, that's what we did within the tool.
0: Yep. And actually just as an aside, um, we did cover that in great detail with one of your other um, employees um, on the Write the Docs podcast, just the last episode, I will put the link in the show notes. Nice. Yeah, I'll yeah. Turn up yeah. about halfway through it because <laughs> I had something else before.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I just think that's a that's an example, right? Yeah. Um, what happened? Sort of the story behind that is we saw our own our own content creators were trying mm. to create this effect, right? Yeah. And they were like, you know, it's really difficult at the time. One of the big pain points for us was we're we're supporting the same product on two platforms like we talked about mac and windows they're not they're not identical and yeah. we went through a phase where we literally had two copies of all of our documentation one for the mac <laughs> product and, one for and you can imagine you know and then multiply that times how many languages you're supporting
0: yeah okay yeah. you know for us yeah. the number
1: was small back then maybe three but still yeah. that's a lot so so this simplify effect really was something that our own creators were like wanting to use in different ways and so we said Let's let's go out and see if others are wanting this too, and it turns out, yeah, there were a lot of you know a lot of yeah. people ready for it. So yeah, and just
0: um, one other question before I move into kind of one of the, the the core topics I'd like to discuss is so Snagit does have the the recording aspects, and you can also record. Um, uh, face-to-camera and things like that a little bit. So you cross over a bit with Camtasia. So how do you and your equivalent in that product decide where one product stops and starts?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that historically that hasn't always been as clear. Uh, I think that we're getting to a better spot internally where we can make those you know, sort of rational um, decisions. A lot of it really comes down to what are you trying to accomplish, kind of this job to be done. And so, you know, we, we talked about how Snagit is used broadly in the workplace Mm -hmm. for a lot of just everyday communication. So a great example of that is, you know, development, maybe working back and forth with UX, right? A feature. And you're sort of having to show progress or, you know, show, Hey, it, it works like this. Is that what you wanted? Um, video is super useful in that as is animated GIF for that matter, um, so you want the you want the video capability to be fit for purpose, you know. You want it to, to do a really great job at the kinds of things it needs to do. Um, we don't need to make Snagit video do everything that Camtasia um, can do, because that's actually like a a a, a false you know uh, dead end for us. Because mm. one of the things people love about Snagit is that when as soon as I'm done recording what I'm saying or showing, I hit stop, I hit share, and it goes up and it's ready to view because there, there isn't a multi-track editor. There yep. isn't like all of this post-production yep, ability. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, really, yeah, it's really focused on like, I record, I you know, maybe trim out a little bit, I share it up there, and it's ready for someone to consume immediately. I, I can yep. put it on Slack, right? And they can watch it literally the next second. Yep. So, yep. Um, so yeah, we just stay focused on like, what, is, what are the main use cases? What is most optimal for that? And we may add some things that, that do overlap, with Camtasia here and there, but the whole goal is let's make it really streamlined for what, you know, what it's intended to accomplish.
0: And I will say, especially um, we're coming now, I think to where Snagit does overlap with some other tools, but one feature that I've definitely not found as usable anywhere else is editing animated GIFs. (laughs) I can tell you the only other tool I have access to that lets me do that is Photoshop. And editing animated GIFs in Photoshop is incredibly tedious. So (laughs) it's basically frame by frame cutting frames out and things like that, which is quite tedious. Um, And actually is really intensive on the processor, which is weird, but... Oh, that um, is weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that is quite... That's actually something I use Snagit for probably the most, is making animated GIFs.
1: <laughs> where, where do you most of your GIFs end up? Where do you share them in the end? Bits and
0: pieces of documentation. Um, I think this gets into a broader discussion, which I've had with a few people of, uh, sometimes, why do you need an animated GIF? Would mm-hmm. just a still image do? Uh, would a video be better? Et cetera, et cetera. I think it's often... Um, if it's quite short, but having something, um, um, dynamic would be a better illustration, uh, mm-hmm. and a video would probably be too much overhead. Um, an animated GIF is useful for that. Like click here, this thing opens, click that, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Anytime you get into audio, it's the complexity goes way up, right? Because you got to yeah, think, what yeah. is my environment yeah. I'm recording in? Is my mic decent? And then I'm trimming and cutting video and audio, and I got to make sure, sure. they line up. And you know, it's just the complexity goes up.
0: Trust me, I know these uh, these yeah, things all yeah. too well. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm currently this is the second recording I've made with a new camera, and I'm still sort of like
1: oh, I don't know this. Yeah. Are, you, are you suggesting that we should just do this as a gif, This whole interview.
0: I think that would lose a lot of information.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It would be so much easier to edit, though.
0: Well, maybe. (laughs) Um, So something we started touching on is back when Snagit began, you probably had very few competitors in the field, but um, there have been more and more emerging. And actually, probably some of the the biggest competitors you have are now the operating systems themselves. Um, Windows is catching up a little bit. But mac OS has developed some pretty good screenshotting tools for at least the past few years um and Apple is o- often infamous for sherlocking yeah. other <laughs> other people's business models uh as it's called um so how yeah how do you i suppose a keep up with that competitor, which is a very hard one to compete with um and b kind of then decide what you can add on top of that that keeps you uh worth paying for
1: Mm. yeah uh so i think there's a few ways to tackle that um one of the things we think about is these these os's you know and and any any vendor who's like got a broader offering and then sort Mm. of screen capture video editing image editing is one small part of that um what is it that they're probably not going to do What is it that is very unlikely? I mean, we over, you could argue that we overlap with Photoshop to some degree, right? For some, for some kinds of things you might need to do. Um, but Photoshop is not going to put in a a simplify tool, right? Like we have. And so that, that's one of the areas And I think when you have a very, um, kind of general basic, uh, offering like built in markup tools inside of the OS, um, we have certainly spent some time feeling threatened by it over in the past. Me, me personally, when I was new in this role, I was just like, yeah, oh my gosh, you know, like, are, are, is this going to be an existential threat to, to snag? Yeah. It? Um, it just hasn't worked out that way. I think that on individual cases, sometimes it's harder to make the case. Like if yeah. you have a lot of really basic usage at an organization, the administrator or the decision maker there might say, well, this looks to me just like, snipping tool stuff. Why don't we just use snipping tool or now it's called snip yep. and skip. Um, yep. So we have to be, you know, we have to be ready to kind of make the case for like who needs more and why. And so we've gotten better at that. Uh, but I just think on the kind of the existential question, um, the flip of it, of course, is that the more these kinds of tools uh, become ubiquitous, the more participation there is in creating mm. visuals at work. And mm-hmm. that's, also has a rising tide floats all boats kind of effect, you know. Um, we we do see a lot of people who say, well, what I used to use before Snagit was Snip or Snip Snipping Tool. Everyone calls it Snippet, right? <laughs> they don't actually know what the name is. Yeah, I recently discovered that Microsoft
0: is going through some kind of redevelopment of that. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, but that, you know, that means that they got started in that. They sort of hit yeah. the upper boundary of like, you know, the experience or the capabilities. And then they go like, I need more. And so, um, you know, I, I I'm not, I, it does sometimes make me worried that we're losing some, some customers to it. But on the other hand, I do think that we can gain customers because, uh, people get used to this in, in the yeah. everyday lexicon of how I communicate yeah. at work. You know, yeah. I'm not just typing out emails anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and actually, that's an interesting point, because one of the other areas of competitors that have emerged very recently have been very much on that side of, and, and all of, I did a roundup of, of screenshotting tools recently, so I kind of have this all in my head, There's very much that department of, oh, I need to tell some other team how to do this thing, I will just make a quick thing, chuck it in Slack, off we go, uh, that kind of thing. That That area has grown very quickly recently, but I must admit, I, I did find that once, if you if you went beyond that use case, they, they didn't do much. Um, that was kind of the main thing. If that was your only use case, great. But after that, it was sort of like, well, then what? You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're SaaS based, of course. They're subscriptions, so.
1: Um, right, right. Pros and cons to that. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. one thing that we are trying to get better at is really telling the horizontal story for our yeah. product and saying, you know. We, we know a lot about the different roles and departments and reasons people use our tool across an org. We actually know that better than most admins or decision makers at an org. <laughs> you know, the procurement person, you know, they get tasked with like a whole bunch of tools. All right, figure out, do we need more yeah. of this, or less of this? And they're just, you know, they're just trying to figure out like who uses this thing and for what. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of on us to really uh, help educate and say and inform and say, here's how people are at your organization are actually using it. And it's some pretty cool stuff. And think about the business value that you're getting out of that in terms of cost savings, less rework, you know, uh, fewer people talking past each other and just, you know, yep. going round and round. So there, there's a lot to talk about there in terms of economic benefit.
0: And actually one of the the features you added quite recently, I think in the last version, well there might've been um, underpinnings of it in previous versions, which because obviously you are cross-platform, um, in, uh, in, a, in a large uh, company, well, not Linux, but in a large company uh, where there's multi-platform, having a tool that can support uh, basically the same feature set is useful, and you've added that aspect of, um, uh, I'm going to call it styles. I don't think that's what you call it, but um, you know, to have a consistent palette for the elements you use and things like that. And that's actually something I've often found lacking mm-hmm. even when I have just gone to the macOS default, or in the past, I actually used to use Skitch a lot from um, Evernote, which I don't think they even maintain anymore. And I would often forget now, what color did I make an arrow last time? You know, (laughs) (laughs) and things like that. So that's uh, actually something you've added quite recently. And was that some of the reasoning behind that feature or were there other reasonings?
1: Um, There was a little bit of the, um, excuse me, I'm going to cough. That's all right. Sorry about that. Thank you, you
0: very that. much for having a mute button. That's very nice of you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hopefully it's not an ongoing tickle. So, uh, yeah, to answer your question about, we call them themes, yeah. um, but but really one of the big drivers, we did think a little bit about the same person making different sets of documentation over mm-hmm. time and needing to keep consistency. Uh, another big focus of that, and really from the beginning, was teams. So. There's, um, we talked to somebody who, you know, they said, actually our team supports three or four different products within our portfolio, and they have a different set of design standards for each one. Not super uncommon. The design standards sit out there somewhere, right? It's a thing you're supposed to reference and be a good employee and reference it and don't mess it up. And we thought, well, we could help kind of bake the design guideline into the product so that people don't have to, like, remember it and go, you know, sample colors and and hit, you know, hex codes and stuff. So, yeah, a lot of it was driving how do teams stay consistent? Because, you know, more and more um, there's someone reviewing for branding. You know, let's make sure that we're kind of staying on brand and consistent. So that's what drove a lot of that. So right from the beginning, there was a way to not only make those sets of styles for yourself, and store them over time, but also export them and share them with someone else on your team.
0: Mm. Yeah, um, I was intrigued to know how that might work. I mean, I have I have no real team to share them with, so I wasn't able to really trial that to a great extent. But <laughs> but uh, it's certainly good for my memory, as I say, to know oh, I use these fonts, these colors, yes. these styles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and um, I guess the the I think you the 2021 version came out in October. You, you were, you were in the future back in last year. Um, so you're basically, I think about another six to 10 months, six to eight months before the next release. So are there any, uh, tidbits you can, you can mention of what you're working on now or what you're thinking of working on?
1: Um, yeah, I, I, I obviously can't give any timelines or anything, but, um, one of the areas that we are thinking about a lot right now is just how is Snagit being used by people who are remote? Okay. You know, yeah. we're, we're in a good spot with um, having a tool that was pretty well suited for that when, when mm-hmm. everyone, you know, sort of had to disperse and weren't at the office. Um, but you know, what are the rough edges that still are there, you know, as people are using it that way. So we are taking a look at some things around uh, video in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, we're hoping to support um, like a picture in picture style right. video, yeah. uh, not, you know, that's not groundbreaking. A lot of other tools have it. Um, and we, we've had a way to flip back and forth between your yep. face camera, webcam and screen, um, but each one was kind of full screen. So just being able to have both visible at once. That's one of those areas where, you know, the way I, the way I talk about it internally is like the table stakes have increased, right? The, yeah. the Zoom experience, the Teams experience, the whatever other, you know, tools we're all using um, They've kind of shaped our expectations about what you need to have. And so yeah. that's an area that we just kind of have to always be thinking about and leveling up within Snagit. So, so that's yeah. an area I think we'll we'll see investment in. Um,
0: yeah. Actually, you get so interesting, and this is going off at a slight tangent, but you get into these kind of interesting areas of um, tools like... Um, OBS, Open Broadcast Studio, mm-hmm. which is a very big tool. I'm that's not quite, I'm not going down that full path. But even for example, what I use to control my camera, which is a Logitech tool where you can create these like virtual cameras and then share them to other applications. Oh, yeah. That's kind of a, an interesting thing. You, I don't know, there's an idea for you. I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> yes, yes.
0: <laughs> and then, you know, do like an explan- explanatory video and, share it out to um Zoom or, or whatever. Um I'm sure that's way more complex than it sounds. Um having a, all a the streams. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Having a lot of streams is certainly um right now, you know, kind of a difficult thing to to weave together, as I'm sure yeah. you experienced a lot. And is that for do you use that for these kind of uh interviews or or
0: uh, not these ones. I use it for my um like more screen share streams. I use OBS primarily um for that mostly because it's free and all the other options are jump up quite a lot in price bracket. Mm -hmm. Um, the one that came with the camera, I only got this camera like last Friday, so so I haven't really experimented much with it, but it also has some features baked in that are similar ish, but, um, Mm. I've, I've become so invested in OBS now and set up lots of scenes and things. I think that's kind of my, but I don't do the virtual camera too much. Um, I think mostly because it would freak people out if I was to suddenly like go on a zoom call and just have like all this crazy stuff going on. Uh, I think it would confuse people quite a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I also yeah. run into a lot of issues with it, with mirroring, um, mm. which is a problem I did not foresee. I did a, I used it sharing to hop in, um, mm. which is quite a good uh, online conference platform and everything was mirrored. And the only way I could fix it was to mirror everything in OBS. So, it was yeah. very strange. And so
1: you uh, on your shirt, I guess it's over here. Well, same. no, the
0: bigger problem was the stuff that was on the screen. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, it was that, all that packed I up. That was, that was really quite <laughs> annoying. And, and the talk was live. I so it was like, oh, everything's back to front. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's because the platforms are often mirroring because they assume that's what you want. But yeah. the good platforms let you turn that on and off. And, and didn't, unfortunately, which was a. A shame. Anyway, um, so just to, to wrap up a couple of questions there, um, there's a lot of uh, quite cool features. I think I've mentioned one of my favorites. Actually, one of the others I really like is that smart identifier to be able to move like mouse pointers out and things like that. But what's, what's your favorite feature, and what do you think generally is one of the favorite features from the, the user base as a whole? Mm.
1: Oh uh, yeah. Ooh, you got some good questions here. Uh, I think that I tend to to uh, really like when I'm. So one one of the things that that used to bother me a lot with Snagit, and we've been able to help overcome, uh, is when I would have two or three screenshots and I needed a quick way to share them to somebody. Right. Yeah. So for me, often I'm working with in data. Um, it could be a quick how to, you know, do this, then do this, then do this, and there are each mm-hmm. three screens. Um, previously, it would be like I could dr- I could share out one PNG, two PNG, three PNG, and you had to like figure out how to put them together. Uh, there was one way to make like a really big PNG and drag them all onto the canvas and just kind of move them around. Uh, but we, we've introduced this concept of templates yeah. and so those kind of give you a preset layout. So I find myself using sometimes the, the nice looking designed ones, um, but other times, you know, just a really basic one to kind of say image one, some text, yes. to it is, image two, a little text, and then image three and some text. And then I can share that out quickly. So, so that's one that, that I tend to, to use more than I thought I would. Um, <clears throat> one of the favorites. Um, it's always fun when you're, you know, training a group of people on Snagit or kind of demoing, and there's always somebody who's been using it forever, but they're, <laughs> but they're like, I never knew that was in here. And <laughs> honestly, it 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 it's a feature that's been around for a long time, but I still get this reaction: is the step tool. So it puts like yeah. every time you click, it adds an incremented number. So you know, step one looks like a little circle with a one in it, and then you click again, and you get a two. You click again, and you get a three. Um, hmm. It's yeah. it's kind of revolutionary for people who haven't seen it. Um, for those who you know have been using it for the last five or eight years or however long it's been in there, they're like, yeah, okay. But um, yeah, it, and then the reason the reason why is it just saves you time, and again um, taking what's a raw screenshot that doesn't actually explain anything. I mean, it kind of does cause it's like a picture's worth a thousand words, right? We all get that. But then really it's about your explanation and what you add on top of it that makes it truly instructional and helpful to somebody often. Cause you're saying either with a text label or these little steps, you know, here's, here's what you need to know from this. I'm going to, I'm going to give you even more kind of guidance. So, so I think those are, those are some of the favorite things. How about you? What's your favorite? You mentioned GIF. Yeah, the animated GIFs and the um extracting, the smart
0: extract I have yes. found useful at times. Um yeah. That's the also um the I think the um the region detection mm. when you want to capture a region is actually better than the operating system one as well yeah. <laughs> like uh for example if i want to capture something in the browser you can actually capture it without the browser chrome things like that I mean, just which snap, is actually snap, yeah. i find uh quite useful because it saves you an extra step of cropping it that's something actually i find probably the the most useful and sometimes the fixed region um especially um with video or with animated gifs and video because you want to have um a standard frame size for 720p or, or something like that. And you can do that and then just make sure everything fits in that bit on the screen. So things like that are actually, I find mostly quite useful, I think. Um, a lot of the steps and things like that, I don't produce that kind of content. So mm. I've never had a massive need for those, but those are the, yeah, the ones that I generally find most useful. Um, I really want to get more into the simplified user interface aspects, but I think I tend to work with interfaces that are very messy. <laughs> and, and every time I've ever tried it, it's just like it, 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 there's too much kind of mm. covered. And I, I haven't – I'm I'm about to embark on a, a new project that we may. Mm. Um, but it's also a web-based SaaS product. So we're probably going down the – um the automated screenshot generation path, which is a whole other world. <laughs> right. Um, but it's an engineering company, so you always have the resources who can help you build that kind of stuff. So, right, right. You know, right. So, <laughs> and that's a whole other thing. Like those options are out there, but you need someone who basically understands end to end testing workflows and things like that. That's right. That's quite
1: Create a important. robot to do it. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And actually one of the, well, one of the popular frameworks for doing that is called robots. <laughs> so, know. A, a Python framework. So. Yeah. Actually, one other quick thing I just wanted to cover, which we were kind of leading on to, but I then I got uh, distracted was, um, you were talking about this kind of remote uh, collaboration and, um, TechSmith does actually have these, um, online services as well. I think, um, screen. Screencast. Or screencast.com and a few others. And uh, yeah, I'm wondering if like you can do the share to them, but yeah, are you thinking of maybe taking those further down that path as well to almost have like a rudimentary kind of image sharing version control <laughs> or something. I don't know.
1: One, uh, so screen, yeah, screencast.com has been around for a number of years. It, um, you can upload image, video, and GIF yeah. to it. It supports those formats and then just share a link and someone can see it right yeah. there, embed it on a view page. Um, we have a newer, uh, offering called Nomia with a K okay. as in to know something. Um, and it's really geared right now for, for kind of higher education, but okay. one of the ways that we've been using it internally during the pandemic is, is pretty cool. Um, our CEO loves this use case cause she uses it with the, the, um, the senior leadership team a lot, which is, um, instead of just starting a meeting and doing a lot of information share, it's. I'm going to make a video that walks through the information share. So here's my deck, here's my idea mm-hmm. I'm proposing, or here's the research that I've done and sort of put together this information. And then we have a, a way when you when you post that to Nomia, you can actually have conversations around that. So at a point in time in the video, you can oh, play. Oh, right. And then other people can reply to that comment and kind of thread off of it. And so, um, yeah. it, it's useful to get a lot of the 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 sort of um, baseline you know, information sharing and, and discussion and questions set. And then you can get to your meeting and kind of be like, all right, well now here's the decisions that we really have to make. Um, and, and you can cut out a lot of that, the, the, the synchronous time and yeah. move more of it to an but asynchronous kind
0: of Actually often been a problem with video. The only other one I know, which is aimed, aimed more at editors was frame IO, which mm-hmm. um, kind of integrates with tools like Premiere and stuff like that. Right. That's very much aimed at editors yeah. I have used it in the past. But actually there's not many options in, in, in this space. Uh they're rapidly increasing. But mm-hmm. There's not that many. Uh so it's interesting to know you have that too. Um, oh, that is interesting, actually. Yeah. I'll have
1: to check yeah. that out. It turns out to be really <laughs> useful. We call it so we, we like I mentioned before, we work a lot with educators. And yeah. there's this notion of the flipped classroom that has really gone, yeah. you know, probably mm. eight years ago now. It was really big. Um and there's it's still used. But we took that and said, well, this is kind of like the flipped meeting, right? Which is do as much as you can before you actually get to the the room or in this case, not the virtual. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, that's actually really good. And I know some of the other things you're working on are kind of more like web-based services, which I know you say you've generally not done the um, subscription type model, but uh, I think that's your avenue into that world. But that's a little bit out of your wheelhouse. But yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we do. And, you know, some of those that we've added in the last couple of years are assets yeah. for instance, yeah. like,
0: I did do a little bit of um, a, a test run of Audiate, which was for oh, nice. um, audio transcription, which is something I go through periods of using when I remember to transcribe podcasts. Unfortunately... Yeah, nothing is still quite accurate enough. <laughs> it's, it's, and also, after, I don't want a transcription, I want a summary, and there's nothing that really does that better than a human, unfortunately.
1: No, I agree. There's, uh, there's, yeah. I feel like a need for both, right? It's nice to have the full text searchable, yep. but if you're just trying to skim or sort of use it as an alternate way to consume the content, you really want to have that compacted yep. summary.
0: All right. Anything just last words you want to make sure is mentioned or covered before we wrap up?
1: Uh with you know, just to let people know if they're new to Snagit, um I'm not I'm not on the sales team, but I'll just uh, (laughs) let you know that it's a it's a free trial product. So uh, if if what you're hearing today is like, oh that's pretty interesting, you want to check it out. We're we're all about like you need to just experience it, decide if if it's for you. And so um our site has like a 30-day free trial you can download, no credit card required. And then we give a bunch of um, supporting content for free and actually free tech support when you're in the trial. So it's just like, we just want to help you be successful. So, um, and then I don't know if we'll have my contact information, but you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, I love to connect with people. Um, if you're a, a user or customer of of Snagit, and you want to give feedback on it, I always love those conversations too. So people are welcome to, to contact me.
0: That was my interview with Daniel Foster of TechSmith. Smith. All right, now, before we get into my big changes, just a couple of small updates from me. So what have I been up to? Yes, uh, hands-on on Monday, I looked at Mermaid, which is a JavaScript-based diagramming tool that uses use sort of varieties of Markdown to create images. I had a look at that. It's quite interesting. If that uh, grabs your attention, then go and have a look. And also, um, I finally wrote up actually a very popular episode from early, like almost a year ago, with Karthik, uh, when we talked about why development teams should play role-play games. Last year on the podcast, I finally wrote it up into a blog post, which is on DZone at the moment. And you can also find part two of uh, Alone Against the Darkness on the solo adventure part three will be coming this friday final part i'm doing a test recording of a new stream today and we also recorded the first episode of the ethics and open source podcast last night um and i feel like there's some other things in there somewhere but that'll do for now so weekly squeak what is happening come back to so what is going to be happening with the weekly squeak is a couple of different things, and when they happen exactly it will vary a little bit. The links roundup, the weekly squeak kind of part, I suppose of the of the, the quote unquote show at the moment, will become uh, for the time being purely newsletter based. Um, there will be, if you're subscribed to the general newsletter, that will continue pretty much as it is with basically the links here, hopefully with a bit more opinion on my part thrown into that. Uh, and there will also be um, three. I think here, three sub newsletters that you can subscribe to um, that are specific topics. Uh, the the um, the general weekly squeak newsletter will have all of these, and then there will be specific ones for three specific topics that will have probably more content and much more automated, less opinion, just the links for the week. So there's the general one. There'll be one on gaming. There'll be one on uh, ethics in tech. And one on what I loosely call in my head language. This is things like language linters, natural language processing, chatbots, this kind of stuff. So those will be the where that side of the weekly squeak goes. The interview side, I want to turn into a live stream. Another live stream. I would like it to be a live show so people can get involved in the discussion and in the questions to the guest. That is taking a little bit more time to set up, mostly because finding time slots that everybody can manage that isn't too late for me being in Europe, that isn't too early for people in West Coast, for example, and that fits into the limited amount of time I can have on every evening <laughs> and that I can do it in my studio space as opposed to at home. So again, not too late. So that is coming figuring quite out what that, how that will work over the coming weeks. But the interviews will be back at some point soon, once we've figured that out. The newsletters will start immediately from next week. If you're already subscribed, then you'll start getting the new newsletter. If you're not subscribed, or you want to also tweak your settings for those individual topic newsletters, head over to christianshiller.com slash newsletter. And you'll find that. Actually, I should probably quickly check that link before... I give that out. (laughs) It is newsletters, plural, yes. So that is what is happening with there. You can, as always, keep going to christianchiller.com for everything else. All the other streams will continue, including some new ones, which is why I'm trying to break them all out and make less editing work on my part, basically. I want to just kind of focus on delivering the interviews, the content, and do less post-production in each case and have a kind of more of a community involved as opposed to just me talking at you. I want to have more people helping in the interview and the questions each time. The news part, the newsletters part, that might change in the near future, but I just need to get a few other things in place first. So there will be a slight hiatus on that various parts of this show and it will be back at some point. Maybe with a new name, not 100% sure. So... Yes, go to Christianchiller.com. If you've enjoyed what I've done over the past years, I should actually have a look. So in varying forms, the um the show has been around for actually not sure myself. Let's have a look. <laughs> for oh, it doesn't tell me. Ah, oh, that's a shame. It does not tell me how many episodes I've made. That's a pain. It's been quite a lot. I can definitely tell you when the first one was. first one was very, very end of 2015. Five years, more than five years, five and a bit years for the the Weekly Squeak in various guises, and it will continue in various new guises. So, yeah, thank you for joining me on the journey. Um, I could have a look at some of the most popular episodes and all sorts of things. I might write it up into a blog post to summarise these changes, actually. So, if you have been joining me on this journey, thank you so much for joining me. Um, The various aspects of the show will continue. Uh, I will summarize in the notes and the blog post again what that all means. Thank you to all my guests. Thank you to Daniel Foster for being my final guest in this format. And thank you to the people who have come on the show more than once. Thanks to all the PR people who have helped me put together the episodes. I can sound like I'm saying a complete goodbye. I'm not, (laughs) but thanks to all of those. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining me on the journey. And until we meet again, see you soon.